I had no idea that this was going to take so long. Really, I thought I was going to meet success at the very first bend in the road. I mean, I've been doing this show for two years now, and yet I wear no crown of achievement. I don't even have one of those sun visors with my name printed on the tinted plastic. To tell you the truth, my dear listeners, I was beginning to lose hope. But well, tonight, tonight I stand before you at the brink of total and complete success. That's right. Things are really happening here at the Too Much Information HQ. And tonight, tonight, my dearest listeners, I have something very special to share with you. Smiley, the Too Much Information social app. As I've said from the beginning, Too Much Information is a kick-ass name. A name that signifies artistic integrity, intellectual acumen, risk-taking, envelope-pushing, not afraid to go all the way over the edge of edginess. TMI signifies all of these concepts, and it signifies all of them at the same time. And Tmiley, the Too Much Information social app, well, with a name like Tmiley, we venture out even further over the edge of edginess. We speed three curves ahead of the curve that everyone else is behind. And we do this with entrepreneurial verve and innovational vim. T-M-I-L-Y. Smiley, a forward-sounding yet vague enough to be versatile name that makes all kinds of allusions to the trappings of success and winning. Smiley, the too much information social app. It's the consummation of everything I've been working on for well, well, my whole life. It's like taking all of my shit and putting it in a pile. A pile to which you can now add all of your shit. And in time, I'll have a gigantic mountain of shit. With Tmiley, I will have the power to obstipate this mountain so that it can be streamed, parsed, aggregated, disintermediated, and monetized. T-M-I-L-Y, the Too Much Information social app. But what about you? What does Tmiley have to offer you? Why, it should be obvious. Now, instead of a place you can visit once a week, you'll have a place where you can live. A place I hope that you will come to call home. But Tmiley is not a radio show app. It's a secret garden. A secret garden with walls around it. A garden where all shortcomings and personal failings and inadequacies are pulled from the ground like weeds and tossed over the wall of the secret garden. T-M-I-L-Y is a sovereign domain. And there's going to be an IPO. Yes, an initial public offering. This Wednesday night at Forlini's Bar in Chinatown. And our consultants have told us that it is extremely possible that this will be the most successful IPO in internet history. But, well, we already know that. We know that our IPO will be successful because we know that Tmiley is what does not come up when you type in your queries into Google or Bing. Tmiley is what you do not find when you stay up all night tumbling. Tmiley is what you don't get when you open those fishy forwarded emails. Tmiley has no buttons to like and no links in. But when we launch Tmiley, the Too Much Information social app next week after our successful IPO, well, everything is going to change. Tmiley will have all the basics, sound files, image files, text files. But with Tmiley, you will have your very own place in the information architecture. Tmiley will be your ISP and your T1+. Tmiley will even be your flash-enhanced HTML5. 
Smiley will offer you all the digital accoutrements you would expect to find at the peak of this technological Mount Olympus. But tarry, my dear listeners, for just a moment, tarry before you begin your ascent up to the peak. Behold this mountain in all of its glory and all of its splendor. T-M-I-L-Y, the Too Much Information social app. But again, Tamiley is not just a monument to technological achievement and personal realization. It is also a testament to financial success. Our internet consultant has informed us that our stock price is apt to quintuple in value during the very first hour of our IPO. So I guess for those of you who really want to cash in on this exciting financial opportunity, I guess you should show up at Forlini's early this Wednesday, say around 8 p.m. This is an investment that has no risk. Tamiley is a solid blue plate investment. Putting your money into Tamiley will turn your life into one elongated ski resort weekend vacation. Putting your money into Tamiley will ensure that your financial future is a future of wealth, more wealth, and even more wealth. T-M-I-L-Y, the Too Much Information social app. It's a full-size orchestra of financial instruments, and the tune they're playing, that's your in the money. There's simply too much wealth for one person to concentrate on. So come this Wednesday, I'm going to start trickling some of it your way. Our IPO this Wednesday makes it as easy as walking into a bar. And as I've already said, it's a risk-free venture. There are no pyramids to climb, no pitfalls to avoid. This financial well will never run dry. Because we all know that I am sitting on top of something that is perhaps the most valuable asset known to man. A non-commercial volunteer podcast. We are talking a cool gajillion dollars. We've researched this whole app thing so thoroughly. We've looked under every pixel. We've examined every bit. We've separated all the zeros from the ones. And we have found the magic key. Smiley, the too much information social app, is going to have stuff. Stuff for sale. Of course, we could go the traditional route. T-shirts, keychains, bumper stickers, hats, pins, book bags, coffee mugs, note card holders... But that would be boring. The TMILY social app enables you to throw down money for stuff that isn't even real. Fake stuff, made up stuff, bogus stuff, even imaginary stuff. TMILY will have it all. But it will only be available through TMILY. This glorious shopping mall will only exist in the clouds. It's a bit mind-boggling, yes, I know. Well, I'd like you to take a step back, if you could. A step back from this shimmering mountain of stuff. I'd like now to tell you about something just as amazing. I'd like to share with you some of Tmiley's marketing plans. Allow me to introduce you to Laura Mayer. She's our chief marketing officer here at Too Much Information. She's responsible for our business plans, our marketing strategies, our market carpet bombing initiatives. And she has a few things she'd like to share with you tonight. Laura? Hello, Benjamin. So tell us, Laura, how are we going to get the word out? How will we spread the word about Tamiley? the Too Much Information social app. We are going to be doing some truly innovative and special things. While most of today's marketing strategies begin and end with Facebook, we are going back to the basics. We are going to start with a simple, yet never been done before, word of mouth campaign. How do you mean? Well, first of all, we are going to fully exploit today's toxic technology. The smartphones, tablets, and laptops the Digerati now towed around have become bacterial danger zones. In our IT department, they've built a highway to the danger zone, enabling us to let loose our own patent-pending, genetically engineered, too-much-information STD, 
We're talking eye-catching canker sores that will spread like wildfire among the technologically savvy and sexually uninhibited set. And while you might be able to ignore those contextual ads in your email or Facebook timeline, you won't be able to ignore these terrifying, unctuous mouth sores. Wow. They're going to get everyone talking, talking about T-M-I-L-Y, because once you go viral, there is no cure. That's good. We are also going to employ homeless people. Did you hear about the stunt a marketing company pulled at this year's South by Southwest Festival? No. Well, a marketing company turned a group of homeless people into walking Wi-Fi hotspots. Whoa. Yes, totally amateur. We can and will do much better. We are going to fully embrace this technology, the itinerant homeless hub. How, How will that work? Imagine walking, stalking, pinging telegrams. We have also designed TMILY toupees and prosthetic limbs that we are going to offer free of charge to subway buskers and street musicians as long as they can sing or perform the TMILY jingle. We are also working with international terrorists who, instead of planting bombs on airplanes, will detonate skywriting devices. What's the weather like? Well, with just a quick glance up at the sky, you'll realize it's smiley out. And we've bred a special flock of homing pigeons who will be taking our message straight to the heads of the people. This is all very impressive, Laura. And it's only the beginning of the show. We have electronic signal disruptors installed in three satellites now. These satellites will be able to disrupt any electronic device. And I'm not just talking about TVs and radios and computers. I'm talking coffee makers, toaster ovens, electric razors. All of these devices will be able to transmit content from the TMILY social app at ear-splitting decibels and in full color resolution. And, as you know, the next big thing is the 3D printer. Our satellites are ready and primed to transmit to these machines as well. So, you know what that means. Uh... The word becoming flesh. Wow, Laura, wow, this is so impressive. It's like a full-on biblical plague. And it kicks off Wednesday night at Forlini's Bar in Chinatown at the Too Much Information Social App IPO. See you there, Benjamin. See you there, Laura. So, my dear listeners, I hope you're getting the picture. I hope that Miss Mayor has illuminated for you that we know what we're doing here at TMI and that our IPO is the IPO that you've been waiting for for, well, your whole life. So mark your calendars now. This Wednesday night at Four Leanies Bar in Chinatown, it's the Tmiley Too Much Information Social App Initial Public Offering. Come on down and make sure your name gets written in the Book of Light. You don't want to be left out. You don't want to spend the rest of your days wandering around in the dark. ago, uh, a project called Tacocopter um, hit online. And essentially what it was, was uh, a very realistic looking website that purported to be a mobile app uh, that would allow you to call a, an automated robotic drone uh, to your location to deliver a, a taco of your choice. Um, and, uh, and of course, the whole project wasn't real at all. It was actually sort of completely uh, vaporware, which is kind of a, a, a slang term to refer to a product that actually isn't real uh, at all. Um, and uh, and, and uh, the, the project itself got sort of enormous amounts of attention. Um, you know, it appeared on The Daily Show, was widely passed around uh, technology blogs, and a lot of people eventually thought uh, that the product was in fact real. And that was hugely uh, inspirational to me and my friend Greg, um, who uh, decided to put together an event uh, called Hype Up Weekend. Tim Huang is an internet researcher living in the Bay Area. 
A few months ago, he and his friend Greg Mara hosted Hype Up Weekend, an event that marks the beginning of a new Silicon Valley movement. So the idea of this is, is actually kind of distinct from an event that commonly happens in the tech world called a uh, hackathon. Uh, essentially, where a group of coders get together and they, they kind of go on a marathon coding sprint uh, for a day or two to produce uh, products. Uh, rather than building anything real, we decided that we'd create an entire hackathon around uh, vaporware, essentially fake products. Um, and uh, it would be a competition. The team that was most able to um, hype their fake product um, would be the winner uh, at the end. And so rather than spending time on real products, we went straight to ideas uh, and straight to um, releasing them. brought together about 20 or 30 people um, and we threw around some ideas for the first few hours about what are the kinds of fake products we could launch and the sorts of things that would garner a lot of hype um, and then we broke up into teams to go ahead and try to launch these products. One of my favorite products uh, that was launched was an application called Scraps uh, which purported to be a mobile app uh, that would allow you to uh, essentially have an Airbnb for your leftovers. So uh, if you had a half a can of beer um, and an old pizza that had been sitting in your fridge, uh, you could put it up for people to share. Um, and so um, the, the guy who's behind that product ended up putting together um, this great, really professional looking slide deck uh, to kind of sell the idea. Another project uh, was called uh, Ditch the Conference. Um, and uh, and the, the idea was actually uh, quite basic, but actually quite good, which is that, you know, most people go to conferences, but, uh, but they mostly want to party, actually. Um, you know, you often find that panels are really quite boring and, uh, and, you know, people don't really have much to say. So the idea of Ditch the Conference was that professionals could actually hire surrogates to sit in panels for them uh, and take various notes that would be given to them at the end of the conference. Um, leaving them to free to party while the conference is going on uh, and, and setting them up to kind of deliver their, their sort of learnings when they finally got back to the office. So the winner of Hype Up Weekend uh, ended up being a company, quote unquote, uh, called Shock Bottoms. Um, and it was really interesting because it actually was not a technology product at all. Essentially all it was was sweatpants with really offensive things uh, on the back, uh, stuff like, uh, you know, Darfur. Um, and the, the hedge on it was basically that uh, for every shock bottom sold, uh, money would be given uh, to charity. Um, and obviously this was kind of a great troll um, that was later picked up by a number of uh, prominent blogs. A New York Times columnist, Nick Bilton, um, has a theory that companies, technology companies in particular, um, don't really like to have a revenue model because it allows them to project whatever revenue model they'd like. Um, and I think it's possible to take kind of a cynical view of uh, Hype Up Weekend and say that this kind of represents the same thing, uh, but only for products, right? Um, that you don't even need a real product anymore in order to get the attention that you would have uh, as a real company. It turns out uh, that you can produce really professional, realistic-looking uh, technology startups in the course of a few hours uh, with no technical experience and, and, uh, and zero talent. <laughs>
When you're broke and camped outside the gates of heaven, you are in no position to turn down a chance to make some money. So I began to prostitute myself in the hopes that I could make some fast cash and get myself into heaven. I don't really want to go into the despicable details, but let's just say I took many a beating from that venerable hag, St. Victoria. And oh, how I suffered at the hands of that seedy little fat man, St. James the Lesser. I'd even go for rides with the angel Thaddeus and his chariot. This was an extremely stupid and dangerous thing to do, but I needed money, and this was the only way to get it. But I was never able to save any money. I was never able to save a dime. I was slothful and sloppy with my money, and I'd throw it all away on designer drugs and expensive fusion cuisine. But it felt right. It felt right to waste this money that I'd been forced to prostitute myself for. It felt right to waste it all on artisanal heroin. It felt right to waste it all on Kung Pao Posala Verde. And if I had any money left after my nights of binging and gorging, I'd throw it all away on tchotchkes and knickknacks. I never saved a dime. And I spent quite some time living like this. But then, suddenly one day, the party stopped. The word came down that we were all to be cleared off. The Virgin Mary had disappeared, and us beggars and cripples got the blame. Of course, we had nothing to do with it. My buddy Limpy said that he saw her sneak out the western gate on a motorcycle. But us beggars and cripples took the fall, and the seraphim herded us all up and marched us off into the wastelands of nothingness. And as I march along in this ragtag column of beggars and cripples, the reality of my situation sinks in. It sinks in that I blew it. It sinks in that I will be forever nothing but a beggar, a bum. It sinks in that I am going to spend the rest of eternity in the wastelands of nothingness. This is just too much to bear. And I slump to my knees and I howl with despair. One of the seraphim starts jabbing at me with his spear, yelling at me to get up. But I can't get up. It is all over. I am totally over. And this is where I wake up. I'm completely drenched in sweat. My heart is ticking like a time bomb. And I'm clutching my stuffed elephant. But it was only a dream. I'm not marching off towards the wastelands of nothingness. It was only a dream. And I start to breathe, and my heart slows down, and then, T-M-I-L-Y. Smiley, the too much information social app. It all comes back to me. There will be no prostitution. In fact, there's going to be an initial public offering this Wednesday night at Forlini's Bar in Chinatown. And after my IPO, the only thing I'm going to dream about is money. That's right. The Tmiley Too Much Information social app can monetize dreams. Tmiley can monetize all sorts of things you never thought could be monetized. Ambitions, aspirations, passions, pretensions, flashes of brilliance, flights of fancy, somewhat great notions... The T-M-I-L-Y Too Much Information social app is designed for the monetization of everything. Which is why they're already calling our IPO the floater. So come on down to Forlini's Bar in Chinatown this Wednesday night and climb on board. But you have to act now. Because the Tmiley social app is about to set sail for the tropics of Cornucopia. I have T.R. Gutenberg, our chief financial officer, on the phone to tell us more. Yeah, Benjamin, I'm at the top of the Double Gold um, Big Sky Ski Resort. Uh, listen, lately I've uh, been discussing some important and meaningful figures with some attractive and meaningful people. We've reached some meaningful conclusions, which is to say the IPO means a lot and is therefore meaningful for all involved. Personally, I, I couldn't be more excited. I graduated from college six months ago and I'm still receiving care packages from home. To think that a year ago, 
I was waiting in less meaningful things like anthropology and synchronized swimming in a year from now. If not less, we won't be talking about weekend ski excursions anymore because our lives will more or less be one long ski vacation. There are some very attractive people if you haven't been at each and every one of these ski resorts. People with sexy clothes and a very thorough understanding of all the acronyms involved in any IPO. And uh, speaking of acronyms, and this actually is rocket science, so listen up. We've so far gotten down IPO itself as a concept. But before we go much further, we really have to move forward with ADR, NASD, PER, MEP Now, SEC, REIT, DPO, and ZCBS. I mean, essentially what I'm saying, in terms as certain as the slopes and blonde lights at Steamboat, is that we all stand to benefit, and we'll all reap the benefits of all the loveliest of the loveliest places, whether it's ski resorts or secluded cottages in France. I have a consequential meeting in a few minutes, emphasis on consequential, but before that, listen to this. Last year, it just so happened that one IPO resulted in its CEO and advisors visiting 42 different ski resorts. 42? 42 different ski resorts in the two months following. That's a lot of attractive people to see, and just as important, slopes to ski. But, you know, forget those 42. Forget the 42 slopes altogether, because there was another public offering last year that allowed more than a few key and meaningful figures to... Holy mother of God, this will be us. Vacation at 79 slopes. 79. 79 slopes. Let's do some quick math. That means approximately a different slope every four days. And that's just New England if we're not feeling too adventurous. Though, of course, we sort of have to move with the seasons, don't we? Hey, Europe is cool. Hello, private jet. Fasten your seatbelts. Apparently doing it on jets is very fashionable and fun. Though not as fun. Um, back to business for just a second here. There's offering up at, say, $250 million on NASDAQ. In which case, you could ostensibly have a child in every country and still float them the monthly check like it's a phone bill. In conclusion, IPO, slopes, attractive IPOs on the slopes, attractive slopes, straddling attractive IPOs and CEOs and CFOs, 79 slopes, attracting more beauties and bicycles in China, offer up on NASDAQ very slopingly and this slope meaningfully the whole wild time. And finally, and conclusively, powder, 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 oh, I, holy Christ on the cross, I really have to go. Goodbye! Enjoy your ride, TR. So, my dear listeners, you see now that this really is the opportunity of a lifetime. The opportunity to take part in something that offers you a fully guaranteed monetization. So join us this Wednesday night at Forlini's Bar in Chinatown for our initial public offering. Ensure your future. Ensure that you will never be herded off into the wastelands of nothingness. Ensure your place in the TMI-LY Too Much Information social app. But in the interest of full disclosure, I should tell you about our naysayers, our scoffers and head nodders. Yes, we do have our critics. TMI Inc. does have its share of contrarians and pessimists. There is indeed an opposition out there. And it's a hostile opposition that would go as far as to have us snuffed out. And this opposition has been making things difficult for us since the very beginning. It's always been lurking there in the shadows, stirring up trouble, inciting riots. It's been one calamitous din, a cacophony of defeat. But come this Wednesday, this churlish opprobrium will be silenced once and for all. So you naysayers and contrarians out there in the radio darkness, listen up. This is your last chance to cross over to the other side. This is your last chance to get on the winning team. T-M-I-L-Y. I've just received a fax from a Carrie Thompson in Oklahoma City. He, she writes... How can you ragtag neo-Luddites expect to be players in the technology game? You don't even have a working podcast feed. Well, Carrie, we here at TMIOY understand technology. We understand that technology is not fancy gadgets and pretty toys. We here at TMILY understand that technology is actually a relationship between people, and that this relationship predetermines what kinds of gadgets are even possible. 
It's not the other way around, as those other technological pundits would have you believe. How many gadgets have you purchased because you were made the promise that they would make your life more efficient, more productive? How many gadgets have you bought under the impression that they would automate certain processes in your life? Now ask yourself this question, how many of these fucking gadgets are precisely the reason your life sucks? And you suffer because you never question technology itself. But your suffering is now about to end because we here at Tmiley have questioned technology. We've asked the big question. What's so great about efficiency and automation to begin with? You don't need me to tell you the answer. You know the answer in your soul. There is absolutely nothing progressive about efficiency and automation. Each step we make on this march of progress takes us further and further away from happiness and freedom. But Tmiley is a totally different technology. Tmiley is a technology where perfect happiness, personal fulfillment, and financial monetization are baked into the app as means, not ends. But how will this technology work? Well, I have here with me tonight Dr. Frank Christoph, our chief technologist here at PMI. He's going to explain to you now exactly how our revolutionary technology is going to work. Dr. Christoph, are you there? Hello? Dr. Christoph? Can you hear me now? Hello? I'm here, Benjamin. I'm here to tell you about something amazing. Now, we've all heard of science fiction. That is, fiction based on science. Science is the adjective, fiction is the noun. But we here dare to ask the question, what about fiction science? Fiction adjective, science noun. What about fiction technology? Let's explore this exciting paradigm shift. When one reads a science fiction book, he or she imagines all the wonderful things described therein. The reader is transported through the looking glass of perception and lives on the other side for a while. But these images are weak. We need something stronger. We need to go from imagination to full-blown hallucination. Hallucinations are normally brought about by an extreme emotional and physical trauma, and no one wants that. An easier way is with drugs. But these hallucinations, although often pleasant, lack focus, and we need to focus them. We do this by replacing the drug with something better. Fully integrated, programmable neuroreceptor nanochips. Uh-huh. Instead of relying on the low-yield chemical electric reactions ordinarily found in the neurotransmitter receptor neuron system, these babies give a direct electrical impulse to the receptor and neuron. This stronger signal overrides the normal inputs and lets you customize your world. Each neuroreceptor nanochip will be constantly talking to the others in order to coordinate neuron firings for maximum effectiveness. But they're also talking to someone else. A network of cellular phone boxes, radios, and global positioning satellite systems. All this to ensure that our sovereign domain blends seamlessly with the real world. The person you talk to on the street may seem friendlier, more interested, or better looking, but it will definitely be a person. Even in the extreme, that woolly mammoth barreling down the valley at you, which is actually just a bus coming down 4th Street, will be seen by you at the same distance and velocity, and you'll be able to get out of the way. But then, it doesn't stop there. The GPS integrated system can help you in other ways. Want to go to Germany but don't speak or read German? Well, you do now. You'll feel like you're speaking, hearing, and reading English. The nanochips interpret and translate the visual and audio inputs and will reshape your vocal motor system so that when you say, I'd like a beer, please, it will come out, Deine Schwester ist eine große Frau. Wow. It's amazing. I'm only scratching the surface here, Benjamin. But by joining us here, you'll get to take part in this exciting miracle of fiction technology. 
Thank you. Thank you very much, Dr. Christoph, for taking the time out to speak with us here tonight. So, my dear listeners, there you have it. Fiction technology. The radio darkness doesn't stand a chance. And you have an opportunity to be a part of the process. This Wednesday, Forlini's Bar in Chinatown, the TMILY, Too Much Information Social App, IPO. Perhaps you'd like to speak with our chief technologist, Dr. Christoph, or Dirk Gutenberg, our CFO. They'll both be there, as well as Miss Mayer. The entire staff of TMI will be there, bellies up at the bar. The choice is simple. The wastelands of nothingness or a life of technological bliss. Ski resorts. Don't you want to live the gilded life? Facebook derives 82% of its revenue from selling ads. That's an enormous amount of money. Actually, most media companies, which are advertising-based, don't derive 82%. They are effectively a sales company. They have to go out like everybody else on Madison Avenue, carry their portfolios around, and pitch advertising agencies. Um, They live and die on whether or not they can convince someone that an ad on Facebook will move the merchandise. It's advanced only to the degree that they, and that, that, that Facebook is now, say, social media. Michael Wolf is an author and a journalist. In his piece for MIT's Technology Review, he boldly predicts that Facebook is not only on course to go bust, but that it will take the rest of the ad-supported web with it. The fundamental premise of the ad-supported web is that it will be a better advertising medium than traditional media. It will be um, more focused, more engaged, more responsive, more targeted. Facebook has gone into its IPO making precisely this same argument. But what we now know over the course of 15 years is in fact that ads on the web are less successful, not more successful, less successful than ads in traditional media. They command less response, less engagement, are less impactful, and sell fewer products than ads in traditional media. That's a very big thing. That means that the fundamental assumptions are wrong. Selling ads is a difficult business. Um, It's an odd business. It's an eccentric business. It's often actually a a kind of a deceitful business. Um, And it's a business that there are people who are expert at. And it needs an expertise. The Facebook people are not expert at this. Quite the opposite. They are expert, uh, experts at creating technology. But that in no way means that they are, the, are, are, are equipped to or the best people to have selling advertisements. They have been able to maintain their growth because they get bigger. They're at 800 or 850 million users now. That will go to a billion. That will go to a billion two, a billion four. However, at some point, there aren't any more people with computers. Um, So, but they've been able to structure their business around falling ad rates um, and compensating for falling ad rates by um, by having a faster um, rate of user adaptation. But eventually that will stop and fundamentally 
that's not what they're selling. I mean, even if they continue at the rate they are going, even if that was if there were an infinite number of people and an infinite number of users, that would not get them to the amount of money they have to make to justify their current uh, stock market valuation. I think that they genuinely do believe that they have a a, a transformative technology, a transformative um, company, and that they will find some other incredible, heretofore unimagined way to make an enormous amount of money. There's a case that I could make that gives them the benefit of, of the doubt, um, except it is based on nothing. And that's the problem here. It is based on the fact that they're smart people, they're incredibly rich people so that they can buy anything because technology is transformative, because, uh, because they have a critical mass of, of, of users. So all we have defined is that they are in a good circumstance to invent what they have to invent. But that is still a big leap between actually inventing it. So all we have done, and I think the entire Facebook proposition, is that if anyone is going to do this, we are in the best position to do it. Now, they would not be the first entrepreneurs not to have anything there, but to have bought themselves the time to actually figure it out. But there is only a limited amount of time. You don't have actually even $16 billion worth of time to figure it out. The real problem um, and, and the, the real danger here is that, is that Facebook, because it has so many users, because it has so much space, can keep lowering its price. Um, it can lower its price and because it keeps getting new users, continue its revenue growth. But one of the effects of that is that it lowers everybody else's price. Um, now you could say, well, everybody else is screwed, but Facebook, because it keeps getting new users, um, um, continue, will continue to grow up, except for the fact that if everybody else is screwed, the fundamentals of the, of the medium itself are going to come into question and we will inevitably experience another crash, which will in turn bring Facebook down with it. A couple of weeks ago, I went to this party. It was a party in celebration of somebody's promotion or birthday. I don't recall exactly. I was just tagging along with my friend Kenny. He works for a video game company. He draws all the corporate products and logos you find in the backgrounds in many of today's hottest video games. This party was made up entirely of people who work in advertising. I met people who designed viral video campaigns for energy drinks and jalapeno-flavored potato chips, people who write tweets for fast food chains and trendy gadgets, people who manage fan pages for airlines and designer clothing labels, people who write and direct commercials for minivans and SUVs, people who own multiple residences, and people who jet-set all over the world. 
I tried to make conversation with these people, but they only wanted to talk about themselves and their latest car commercials and hand soap campaigns. They bandied about these incomprehensible acronyms like CPM, ROI, and MEP Now. I found myself at a disadvantage. I tried to join this very interesting debate about how today people who work in advertising are now more like artists than artists are like artists. But no one seemed to care what I thought. I couldn't get a word in. All I could do was gesticulate and gasp for breath. But to tell you the truth, there wasn't anyone at this party I wanted to talk to anyways. Well, except for this one woman. This woman with short blonde hair and bright blue eyes. She had on this tight black dress and there was a little silver and green bag with beaded tassels hanging off her shoulder. Every time I looked in her direction, she would be lighting up a cigarette. And when she inhaled, her whole body bent back and her bag would shimmer in the light. She had delicate fingers and long tapered legs. She was beautiful. But well, well, I pretty much stuck to the cheese table outside the kitchen. There were cheeses on this table I'd never even heard of. Cheeses with barnyardy aromas and velvety textures. Tastes I'd never before experienced or imagined. The brie had been flown in from a remote village in France just for the party. And this brie was so pillowy, so sharp, I couldn't stop eating it. I even cut off a chunk and wrapped it in a napkin and stuck it into my pocket to take home with me. And then, all of a sudden, the girl in the black dress is at my side. She stares deep into my eyes and then fishes out a cigarette from her little green and silver bag. She lights the cigarette and blowing the smoke out of the left side of her mouth, asks me, so what do you do? I swallow what's left in my wine glass and then I tell her everything. I tell her all about my theory of how life online is becoming more real than life offline, and how our online selves are draining all the power from our physical selves. I tell her all about my fear that we'll soon be living in a world filled not with people trying to erase unflattering photos of themselves from Facebook, but rather people hiding in terror from their perfectly coiffed and airbrushed digital selves who are armed with sticks and knives. I tell her how the philosophers saw this coming centuries ago. Kant, Hegel, Kierkegaard, they all knew that if the thing itself ever got rubbed out by the hyped-up thing, then, well, the shit would hit the fan. I tell her how I'm convinced that the operating system for this hyping of everything is advertising, and how advertising is running a classic bait-and-switch game using the internet as bait. The switch, I tell her, is when the ads all become something not to see, but rather something to be. I tell her how I woke up one morning on the floor with a particularly bad hangover, convinced that it was my duty to tell the world about this coming advertising apocalypse. But unlike John the Baptist, I got bored with the whole apostle thing in a matter of days. And what would be the point anyway? All my friends who used to shout things like no logo now scream brand me at the top of their lungs. I tell her how I try to stay focused on the big ideas and the big questions, but that I get distracted by flashing cat gifs, blogs written by ex-girlfriends, and private BitTorrent sites dedicated to obscure animated TV pilots from the 1970s. I tell her all about how I hide out from the internet at the public library. I tell her where my favorite spots are, the art room at the research branch, the recording library at Lincoln Center, the comfy sofa next to the plants at the branch on East 9th Street. I do, however, warn her about all the perverts who congregate there, especially that Indian guy with the squeaky shoe who haunts the magazine racks, a guy who for some reason makes robot noises every time he spies a disabled person. Tell her how for the past two years I've been making a podcast about life in the digital age for the greatest radio station in the world and how this radio station is one of the last places on earth where there's no advertising whatsoever. I tell her how I've resigned myself to a life without corporate sponsorship and while it is a life remarkably down market, 
A life marked more by want and destitution. My tombstone won't be marked with that hateful phrase brought to you by. But as I rant and rave, this woman becomes extremely uncomfortable. Her beautiful blue eyes begin to furiously dart around the room, and she takes long drags from her cigarette. But I don't get it. I don't stop. In fact, her furtive glances and uncomfortable posture only make me try harder. You see, I've always thought that people liked the story about the bitter, starving artist. I've always thought people loved that story about the man who toils and suffers for his beliefs and principles. But when this beautiful woman begins to frantically light the filter of the cigarette, which is burned down between her fingers, it finally hits me. I was wrong. You see, we Americans are very particular about our stories of hardworking, self-sacrificing people. Yes, of course, we like stories about people who struggle and toil before finally making it big. But the story has to end with a payoff. It's not a good story if the hero doesn't end up in a hot tub filled with money. I mean, let's face it. Those artists who spend their entire lives working stupid, menial jobs because they can't monetize? Nobody wants to hear their stories. Those people make terrible stories. And here I am at this party, unloading my awful story on this poor woman. Shame suddenly overtakes me, and I shove my hands into my pockets and mumble my apologies. I run out the door into the dark of night. There are tears streaming down my face, and I have breeze smeared all over my hands and the front of my pants. But this coming weekend, this coming weekend, I am going back to that party. And I'm going to walk up to that beautiful woman, and I'm going to lean in close, and I'm going to whisper into her ear, T-M-I-L-Y. And this Wednesday night, my dear listeners, you have an opportunity to land a leading role in this epic story. Smiley, the Too Much Information social app, IPO. This Wednesday night at Forlini's Bar in Chinatown. Ensure your place in the future. Ensure your place in history. Ensure that your story is a good story. This episode of Too Much Information is called Tamiley. It was written and produced by myself, Benjamin Walker, with Laura Mayer, T.R. Gilmore, and C. Beck, with assistance from Bill Bowen and Sylvie Kovnat. It also featured Tim Huang and Michael Wolfe. You can find even more information on the TMI playlist page, and that's where you can subscribe to the TMI podcast. All that and more at WFMU.org.